0: Massachusetts may not be the dairy hub that it once used to be, but just outside of Worcester is Whittier Farms and the dynamic fifth generation producer who's ready to lead her family's dairy well into the future. Welcome to the Young Farm Podcast. I'm Chris Torres, your host. I recently visited Whittier Farms in Sutton, Massachusetts and sat down with Sam Stabner, the fifth generation farmer who's taken over as the face of the 500 acre dairy, beef and vegetable farm. Sam and I talked about her farm's history, her decision to come back to the family operation after college, and what she thinks the future holds for the family farm as well as agriculture in Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Beautiful day here in Massachusetts, and we are with Sam Stabner, fifth generation here at Whittier Farms. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. How are you today? Good, how are you? Doing good, doing Good. It's been a little wet up here as of late.
1: Oh my goodness, has it ever. It feels like it just hasn't stopped raining. We're blessed with some sunshine this morning. We had a gorgeous day yesterday, but we are just soaked right to the bone right now. So we're hoping to dry out a little bit. Next few days, some thunderstorms over the weekend, and maybe we'll catch some drier weather next week.
0: Okay, great. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about your Farms. You're the fifth generation on the farm.
1: I am. So my brother, my sister, and I make up the fifth generation here. And Whittier Farms is a diversified farm in Sutton, Massachusetts. We are 15 minutes south of Worcester so we're in a really great geographic location just surrounded by people and at the same time still retaining. I can't say we're rural anymore because you know people have moved into our area but Whittier Farms is 500 acres. We raise beef, we um, produce dairy, and we grow vegetables as well. So we have a retail farm store right on site and that's open year round and that's our connection to the public every single day.
0: Wonderful. And it's called the milk store.
1: It is. <laughs> so when we first opened this store in the late nineties, actually um, I was, when they poured the foundation, my brother and I were riding bikes with uh, training wheels still. So the construction guys were pretty uh, happy to let us ride when they poured that foundation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we, in the late 90s we were bottling our own milk. We bottled our own milk at a facility in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts until late in 2007 and early part of 2008 we joined the Cabot Creamery Cooperative. So all of our milk is sold raw to the Cabot Creamery Cooperative. We're one of the farm families throughout New York and New England and that's a farmer owned co-op. So we're really happy there. It's opened up a lot of different opportunities for our farm and um, but we still retain the milk store right on top of our building because that's that's our roots our family you know even back to my great-grandfather his brother and his father they started the farm in dairy and we've just diversified into i think we've tried just about everything since mm-hmm. so we like to retain you know the fact that our roots are in dairy and we just keep moving to balanced markets and balanced seasons as well.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. So tell me a little bit about, so, so again, fifth generation, tell me a little bit about, you know, about yourself and, you know, just growing up on the farm and, you know, I understand you went to college, all that good stuff. I mean, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: I think like every kid that grows up on the farm, originally I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, Only problem with that is that I'm, have a fear of needles and blood. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So when I kind of realized that, that I wasn't, that That wasn't my passion, um, and I really didn't see myself doing that. Um, I thought about going into owning a restaurant. Uh, That's what I pursued in college. I figured that I could learn agriculture kind of along the way. I mean, who better to learn from than your parents and your family? So I pursued um, restaurant management through school and got an offer. I was working part-time for a company in school to gain experiential hours, and they offered me a full-time position upon graduation, I was the concessions manager for the Worcester Bravehearts in their inaugural season. It was a phenomenal experience. Um, I was in the city on days that we didn't have a baseball game, you know, with 3,000-plus people in the stands serving hot dogs and beer. Um, On days that we didn't have a baseball game, I was at weddings or lacrosse tournaments doing every sort of catering imaginable. And it was such a unique experience to have. And to be young and to have that leadership role with the company was really cool, too. I got to pick the brains of the owners that had just on it you know they they did everything like it was just knowing the back of their hand and it was so cool to be just immersed in that mm-hmm. um but nine months into it i actually um if you're at all familiar with worcester you know the hills of worcester and mm-hmm. our ballpark was up on one of the hills you could look out on the horizon and i could see the thunderstorms coming uh, i've got an open fry later in front of me with a young worker and the rain just pouring into this fry later my mind was thinking gee i hope they got the hay in back home and just in a couple of split seconds, I realized that, oh, my God, my side thoughts about the hay were putting myself and my staff member at risk. And so I came home, thought about it a little bit, had a few conversations with some family members and friends, just kind of sort my thoughts out. And um, a few weeks later, I gave my notice at that company. Um Kind of shocked myself and the owner a little bit. Um,
0: That's a really quick transition. That it was, was really super quick,
1: quick. I was there nine months before I came back to the farm. Um, oh. My parents were the last to know that I quit my job. I told my siblings via text. Wow. A couple of friends that had knew I was thinking about it. Came home. I actually um, sat in the office waiting for my dad. Put my feet up on his desk <laughs> and totally laid back. And he came in the office like, "What are you doing?" And I was 22 years old. I was living at his house. You know, doing my other job. I told him, I said, I quit my job today. He's like, so this oh. So this was six years ago. Yeah. About six years ago. Yeah. I told him I quit my job. And he goes, okay, what are you going to do now? And I said, you're going to hire me. He says, all right. So, yeah, October 1 will be seven seven years full time. Wow. And uh, I'm not sure. I think I'm still on the interview process. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Were they ready to wring your neck, your parents?
1: No, I think they were happy. They're a little surprised because mm-hmm. I think I think everybody was a little surprised. You know, I, I definitely thought I was on a three to five year track um, off the farm. Always kind of knew that agriculture was a passion. Um, just didn't realize that it was the only thing pumping my blood. Mm-hmm. So, um, and since then, it's it's been a roller coaster. It's been um, you know finding my niche here at the farm. It felt like the perfect opportunity to come back. Um, and since I've been back, um, my, my brother was here shortly after he was done with school. Um, he has since decided to take a couple of other outside opportunities. And I tell everybody, since he um, took those outside opportunities, he's had a baby mm-hmm. and he's gotten married. Oh, so he did him. something really right there. Yeah. Um, and we're so happy for him. And he comes around, you know, he, he doesn't live too far. He lives on one of the farm properties. So he's, he's around and he's involved. Um, My sister just graduated college this spring and mostly because of COVID and the experiences through COVID, she decided not to pursue the career path that she was on on a full-time basis. And she's now at the farm full-time. So Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, I think just because of age, I was kind of the first to leap into it. Um, And it's been a wonderful thing. Um, and, And to see my siblings, you know, doing great things and still connected to the farm it's it's really nice we're so fortunate i think covid made me realize how fortunate we are that we're not spread out all across the country or the world you know we're, we're all within a few miles of each other and like i said my brother has a young son and to be able to see him through the covid pandemic and at this this summer um his year and a half year old son and my brother's wife, um, have actually been helping at the farm to harvest vegetables every morning. So it's, it's great for the two of them. It's wonderful to have them here. And
0: that's great. That's great. And you have one on the way.
1: I do. Yeah. My husband and I are doing December. So we're super excited. My husband, um, grew up on a dairy farm himself and he works here part time. Uh, during the day he does something else, but he loves to be able to come and, kind of have that release here at the farm and and just be part of the chaos and the season. And we're super excited to be welcoming another part of the family tree in December.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the farm itself right now. I mean, you you did dive into it a little bit, but I mean, how many dairy cows, how many beef cows do you actually have, you know, equivalent to the numbers?
1: So... Right now we're milking about 65 cows. Mm-hmm. Um, the beef number is growing. Mm-hmm. We're super happy to have that growing. We do um, process beef throughout the year, so we're not, you know, putting everything on a trailer, you know, for one season. We have really grown our beef program. I'd say it's it's been almost 10 years um, that we've been doing beef, and we started just, you know, we took one cow at first and. Nobody knew we'd had beef, so we had a freezer full of beef, next cow ready to go, this is a few years ago, 2012, and we had to find a way for people to know that we had beef, so that kind of started, well, we'll make meatballs, so we do have a certified kitchen in our farm store, we started making meatballs, and all of a sudden people started, wow, these meatballs are really good, and we started throwing out there that, hey, yeah, it's because it's made with our own beef, and they buy a meatball. They might buy a steak. You know, so it was. It's just been a, a growth process. Um, but we do. We we balance our our dairy and our beef very very closely. Um, like I mentioned before, all of our dairy goes to the Cabot Creamery Cooperative, and we raise all of our young stock here. So, brings our total cow number um, just over two hundred right now with okay. beef and dairy young stock all included. Okay. And then um, on the vegetable side, we raise about probably 15 acres of vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, That includes sweet corn, which is probably our biggest crop. Um, We do, it's been growing, but around three acres of pumpkins. (laughs) Um, We seem to keep stretching the border of our pumpkin field a little bit. Um, We're really hoping it's, it was super dry when we dropped pumpkin seeds this spring, but we're hoping that after this uh, exorbitant amount of rain that we've had, that maybe we've got something good going out there. And then... um, we also crop the. We do some small vegetable crop as well. Mm-hmm. Summer squash, zucchini, peppers, tomatoes. We tried something really cool this year with tomatoes and just a new trellis system for us. So we weren't out there stringing them one by one. So we're just we put some fence in and we're letting them climb the fence. So oh, that cool. So we're Last year, we kind of took a step back and we said, we're going to only grow what we know is sturdy, something that we can rely on every year because of COVID, we weren't sure. Yeah. Um, the labor situation was unsure, you know, are the staff going to have to be masked when they're out there. Are they not? What's safe? What's not? Um, so we took a step back. We said, we're just we're going to do it as is. And this year, we really took the new approach. Um, we had to try some new stuff, especially with rising labor costs right. that um, find a way to be more efficient. So that was kind of our, our vegetable garden this summer has definitely been our focus. And I guess mother nature was listening because with the rain we've had, um, trying to focus on our efficient hay crop has not been the answer to 2020. Sure. Um, but then on that front, we do, uh, we crop 400 acres mm-hmm. for our cow feed mm-hmm. and that's a mix of corn and grass. Right. Um, we always hope to get a little bit of a bumper crop on the hay to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, twenty twenty doesn't seem to be the year for hay, so <laughs> we're gonna just keep adapting. Maybe we'll get lucky later in the summer as we if we dry out. So. Sure,
0: sure, awesome. What what officially is your role on the farm?
1: I think it depends day to day, but for the most part, I've kind of taken the role of like public outreach and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came back to the farm on a full time basis, it was we, we we had just started into the social media aspect. We were still advertising in the paper. Um, We were kind of letting the paper do our own ad. So I kind of took the role of, okay, Whittier Farms has to get back out there. And everybody always, and of course I'm wearing our old shirt today that has just a cow on it, but everybody knew our old cow logo. And it was I was actually at an event and we were trying to sell vegetables at this event. And somebody came up to me, oh, I thought you guys just had cows. And that was kind of my sticking point for where do I fit in? What's my role? And my role here is to support everything that we're doing while also reaching out to the public and letting them know that we're more than just dairy cows. You know, you can come and visit our farm store. We've had so many people that farm stores are seasonal Mm -hmm. and for woodier farms, we're not. So I kind of just took on that role. It was right at the point that, farm outreach was kind of changing to that digital world. Sure. So, it was it was it wasn't that nobody was doing it. It was just that things were changing. Um me being back at the farm allowed my parents to focus on some other aspects and we just kind of started I don't want to say growing. It doesn't feel like the right word, but really just hitting a new stride mm-hmm. altogether. And I think that we've we've done very well working together to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were looking at we tried some events to bring some new people here to the farm. We tried some off farm events mm-hmm. to just connect with our community again. It's it's really hard. Like Chris, you mentioned you know, earlier that you have three boys and your boys are school age. When kids are in the school system, parents are out there connecting with each other, whether at school events, you know, just picking up and dropping kids off from school. And my parents did that, and then. All three of us, we went to different high schools. We didn't go to high school here in town, so we lost that connection with parents and friends and neighbors. So I think coming back, um, we had a big focus that you know, hey, we're we're still here. We're still your neighbors. Um, and again, showing people how well we care for the land and animals is always an important part of that conversation.
0: Sure. So and it probably goes a long way. You know, and, you know if there's a if there's an issue down the road or something like that, or if there's an, you know if somebody moves into the area and they and they, you know, have a problem with the smells. Of course, living around a farm, you know, for people who aren't familiar with farming, might not be the most pleasant yeah. experience for them. But uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, reaching out like that will go a long way to to possibly, you know, it can prevent issues and all that sort of thing.
1: We're fortunate that a lot of our neighbors have been here for mm-hmm. years and years. Um, and in 2019, we actually hosted a neighborhood potluck. You know, just really simple idea but it was met with such great outreach that a lot of we finally noticed like wait a minute the neighbors that have been here for years and years they they all just moved yeah it was just the right moment for them their kids were grown they may have hit retirement or they were approaching retirement wanted something smaller we had a lot of new families in town we had seen through our store or maybe they were walking with their kids said hello but giving them a chance and and i'll never forget you know we always talk about, oh, you know, you, you live in the Ramasco house. And one of the gentlemen, he finally stood up and he broke the ice and he said, you know, my name is so-and-so and I live in the old Ramasco house. Mm-hmm. And it was just met with a laughter. Everybody knew where he lived. And it was it, it was really nice to have everybody together. And you're mm-hmm. right. It, it goes a long ways. Just try to be a good neighbor. Um, and that goes for your neighbors that are right up against your fields as well as those that are way across town, too. Sure. And it's important... You know, as much as I'm part of our outreach, it's, um, I took over planting, uh, field corn for my dad Mm -hmm. two years ago. So I think I'm on my third season this year and dad wasn't active on Facebook when he was planting corn. So I've been able to share a little bit of that through our social media, um, different things that I've been involved in. We had a baler breakdown uh, a few weeks ago, and we were able to share photos of that just because you know, my, my dad and my brother are there trying to fix it um, and focused on that. I was running the loader, picking up bales. So when everything kind of broke down, I got to just jump into a different role and say, okay, I get to share this and share why we're struggling tonight. You know, why dinner is happening in the field tonight. Mm-hmm. and. It's just—it's a new approach. It's just a new angle.
0: And what kind of feedback do you get from stuff like that?
1: It can be anything. Um, We've got a couple of friends and neighbors that, you know, they're always active and they're super supportive. And sometimes it's a funny comment. Um, Sometimes (laughs) it's just something to make you laugh. And then um, we've been fortunate. We've we've had our fair share. We, We had an event three years ago get hit by dairy activists, and we dealt with it. Um, it was, you know, we, we ended up kind of fortunately, unfortunately, the event got canceled due to weather anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, but the whole digital event booking was actually overrun by dairy activists that we, we did take the event down and we went to just look in-store promotion for it. Wow. Um, Overrun by dairy activists. How did that happen? Um, somebody in our area who doesn't like dairy and exactly what you see, you know, on the depths of media that... Um, these awful dairy activists that they don't... Nothing you say will influence their opinions. You can't change their minds with, Mm -hmm. you know, a tour of your farm or anything. It's just all dairy is bad. Mm -hmm. They just started sharing, you know, stupid memes, misinformation all over the event. Um, And it was, you know, it started with maybe one person that lived maybe 10 miles from our farm, caught the event, didn't care who it was. I mean, it could have been ABC Farm, you know, that had... 200 milking cows it could have been xyz farm they had 10,000 cows they were going to wreck the event anyway yeah. for anybody so we just simply changed we said you know we we had a few people that via in store we said you know we're still going to do the farm tour uh, we just kind of let media do what it would um and then actually a few hours before the event we had uh pretty severe thunderstorms anyways so mm-hmm. uh that kind of helped i guess the situation if you will um i mean we were prepared she likes you guys <laughs> on that event yeah we were prepared to deal with it um yeah. in any way that we could but um just you just have to be alert you sure. know that social media is its own ball game and you just deal with it yeah you just it's a balancing
0: going. act it's, isn't it? it's about big balancing act you do in a lot of ways absolutely yeah. i
1: think our biggest struggle <laughs> this time of year um is there's actually a wittier fruit farm in both california and new york mm-hmm. so we get miss we get tagged a lot and it's like oh do you pick your own like no we're we're not pick your own we have a store you can come visit um but if you want to pick your own you have to go to new york <laughs> so that's like that's just the biggest struggle right now it's just it, the name's so familiar but uh i i get a kick out of it i get to see some really cool fruit trees yeah when people tag us in their photos but it's not <laughs> our farm
0: <laughs> in terms of social media what's been what's been the most successful um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What's been the most successful for you guys? Which one do you use? We actually the-
1: got off Twitter. Okay. Um, it just wasn't productive for us. Instagram, and Facebook, we reach, you know, kind of a, an overlapping crowd on both. Mm-hmm. We like the, I think the age group that we, a lot of our customers, they're just active on Facebook. Um, haven't dove into TikTok yet.
0: Not you really. any dancers on the farm?
1: Yeah, not <laughs> definitely not me. Um, so we're... we're we'll have to change at some point as a lot of people are moving away we saw a downturn you know especially around the political events in the past six or eight months um a lot of people got off social media Mm -hmm. uh, but it still remains a a way of communication Mm -hmm. it's um it's daily that's the best part for us is that we can update people you know the day we started picking summer squash it was out there People knew we didn't have to wait for the next newspaper run or something like that. We could tell people immediately, and I think that's been our biggest thing: is just letting people know what's going on.
0: Social media is really interesting because you know, you know, obviously there's the outreach part of it. When you're running a business, you know, you also want, and I know this personally from my own business. Yeah. When you're running a business, you know, you want the social media when you're when you're using it, trying to use it, you want it to actually get to some sort of sale at some point. You want to actually use it as a you know, a, a way to actually, you know, drive, in my case, would be advertising. Yep. And in your case, obviously, it would be more farm sales or more sales here at the milk store. I mean, have you seen that? I've, is, I mean, is has, has, it, has it led to better business for you, all that sort of thing?
1: It led to an understanding in our family. A few years back, I was helping in our kitchen. Uh, my mom had quite the list of stuff going out. So she's, hey, help me cover these brownies and get them downstairs. So I'm covering the brownies while I took my phone out taking a picture my father came around the corner he knew what a stressful day it was in the kitchen how much we had to get done he goes hey get off your phone and help your mother and I said okay okay you know just he yelled you know and you know it's even though we're adults when your dad yells it still goes through you like when you're a kid right so I quickly you know, just finished what I was doing hit the button threw the phone back in the pocket so about 20 minutes later my father brought some stuff downstairs a lady stopped him at the door he said "You know, hey how are you good 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 I'm here for those brownies I saw online <laughs> like a dog with his tail between his legs he came back upstairs <laughs> and he apologized I didn't say a word I just let it be so we do you you have to balance you can't have your phone out all the time and expect That's to get anything story. done but at the same time you know understanding you know my father will come in you know if we've got He's very passionate about our sweet corn. Yeah. So the first day we picked sweet corn, did you put it on Facebook yet? And I'm like, you know, it, it, gotta create now gotta create now, content, now he wants you on that phone. He wants you on that phone. Yeah, sure. He's seen it. <laughs> it's a balancing act and we've we've tried to enact that. Um for him we we actually had to get him his own facebook account so he could see what the farm was posting so um is he
0: actually active on there actually posting stuff or is he just you know let it up to you and you, you can
1: it. find farm equipment on facebook marketplace right uh-huh. so yeah uh-huh.
0: he, he's pretty
1: active just looking around seeing what's going on so he likes that part you know but he loves to see what the farm's posting and you know he's it'll, it'll be interesting. But yeah, yeah.
0: you've done some dairy advocacy. I saw, you know, doing research for this, you know, you've actually done some dairy advocacy in the past, you know, you're involved with Fuel to Place 60. Tell me a little bit about your advocacy.
1: So a lot of it was pre-COVID. We haven't really been, had the chance to get back into it kind of as we are still fighting this pandemic and not sure after the summer, you know, if the kids will be back in school. But I, I think our dairy advocacy, you know, went back as my parents were involved. I mean, when we were young kids, they were out with different organizations promoting dairy, promoting Whittier Farms and agriculture in general, that it was just a natural progression. My parents have been uh, absolutely phenomenal in letting the next generation be the face of the farm. And we we sometimes joke about it. I was super reserved growing up. We would not have had this conversation. So I kind of had to like Leap into this role, um, but my parents have been super supportive of whether it was my brother, my sister, or I, just going out there. And um, a lot of times, it's oh Sam will do it, yeah, just tell Sam. So again, just kind of embracing that role, realizing that I can share my passion. And what I enjoy about the Phillips Play 60 program is when you're talking to those kids, you have to realize that whether they're high school students or kindergartners that's what's next you know those are our next politicians those are our next doctors the lawyers our police officers firefighters nurses and doctors those kids are going to shape what's next um so if we can help them understand what goes into putting that bottle of milk on their table we can help to influence and shape the next generation and that's so important i think our, our calf care program here at our farm, and I relate this a lot to them, that though, speaking with those kids and spending a few minutes with them is the same as what we're trying to do for our calves. If we don't have a solid foundation for what's next, we're doomed. You know, our, our business will go under, our farm will go under if we don't focus on having calves to be next. And the same thing goes for society. If, they, if we don't take the time to talk to these kids about, why we are passionate about our farm, how mm-hmm. we care for our cows and tell them why milk is so good for them. And that, you know, hey, if you don't like milk, like just, if you don't like a glass of milk, you can have a yogurt or you can have a smoothie or you can have ice cream and it's still good for you. Yeah. That's important. It's good, you know, well-nourished kids are gonna be, you know, on a better track than sure. malnourished. And just recognizing that importance, um, it's all about the next generation.
0: Speaking of the next generation, Um, and speaking of transitions, you know, have you, have you started a transition plan with your, with your parents? I mean, you know, what's, I mean, is anything, is anything in the paper right now on that or what's, what's the deal with that?
1: I think right now we're really just focusing on creating the best balance for Whittier Farms. It's, it's all about the company at Mm -hmm. this point and making sure that, you know, if if the company is not successful, you don't even want to open up that uh, idea of transition. Um, and You know, my parents are at a point where I I don't, well, I wasn't really prepared for that question. Um, (laughs) But, you know, my parents are at a point where they're so incredibly active in our farm and it's, I just don't think we're ready for that transition yet. I don't think um, the business is at a point and, you know, that's what we're all focused on is just we have to get the business to a point that it's successful. We've been met with a wide series of challenges over the last years from weather um rising costs all over the board i mean the same things that every business out there is dealing with just oh at the same time of dealing with those business we have animals and we have crops yeah. um so we have dealt with those challenges we have just tried to formulate and you know, we've got a changing world out there around us in the community and we're just meeting those challenges head on right now
0: yeah that, well, what are your unique challenges here in massachusetts though so, i mean weather's a challenge for any farmer. But what are your really unique challenges, I think, you know, here in Massachusetts?
1: Exactly what you said, Massachusetts. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If we can say so candidly. Um, Massachusetts is very, it always gets compared to California, you know, very progressive. The decisions for the state are often influenced by the high population in and around boston Mm -hmm. so massachusetts um i think the number last i checked was 23 percent of all agricultural sales in massachusetts are direct to consumer Mm -hmm. that's important for us it's also can be detrimental you get a year like this where people are kind of coming out of the woodwork from covid um they're ready for travel they they want to go back on vacation it can impact your sales a little bit of the Wet weather has kept some people home mm-hmm. from those plans, but a lot of people are, have gone on vacation. So our community is such that they do. They leave the area and go on community. It's tough to sell food when you don't have people here. Sure. Um, so we, we deal with that. Massachusetts, um, again, just being... they From a state level, they try to be very supportive of agriculture, but a lot of the agriculture that exists in Massachusetts... Is extremely small farms. Yeah. A lot of urban farming is happening right now. They released a lot of statistics about new farms in Massachusetts, and there's a lot of new farms that are farming half acre and acre. It's a lot of vegetable yeah. production. I think nursery and vegetable is like our top agricultural piece here in Massachusetts. You have to balance that. You know, there was a beautiful film that was released. Um, Probably 4 or 5 years ago now called Forgotten Farms. Mm-hmm. And it chronicled exactly that, you know, these boutique farms that they're they're farming specialty crops, they might have a full-time job that supports their agricultural hobby were taking away from dairy farms. Yeah. And again, our we sell vegetables. We we do a phenomenal job with our vegetables in the summertime. But our roots are in dairy and we've we've had to change a little bit and adapt our business to not be as heavily focused because of the dairy markets. Yeah. But especially here in Massachusetts, people have a very nostalgic view of what agriculture is and should be. Not so, necessarily a
0: realistic view.
1: Yeah, not always realistic. Yeah. Um, in our community directly, we have, you know, the biggest tractors. Well, we own 500 acres you can't you need those tractors you can't crop 500 acres on a two-cylinder anymore yeah, absolutely um but at the same time our newest tractor is in 1983 so we're you know we're definitely stuck in that balance that you know we haven't been able to buy a brand new tractor in years mm-hmm. um that you know for us we just keep making those older ones work because they're powerful they've got a lot in them they're at this point in the game you, a little less technology they're easier for us to fix right now but you do you battle that oh well it's not a two-cylinder it's it's this big tractor and I laugh because I've got friends in New York that our big huge tractor is so tiny um you know I mean we went down to my in-laws place a few weeks ago for dinner they have a farm down the street that rents land from them you get a 16 row corn planter that rolled in Wow. And that was cool. I love to see things like that. He's got a 16 row planter because that's what it takes to get those fields done. Um, That farmer, they milk a thousand cows every single day and you know, it's cool. I came home very next morning and I hop on our four row corn planter because that's what fits in our fields. I still got a lot of stone walls to work around here in Massachusetts from but we just make it work. It's like I said, it's we're fortunate that in our surrounding community we have people to make direct sales to so we're not solely reliant on a wholesale market. And at the same time, we battle the challenges that are Massachusetts. Like I said, it's it's a very very progressive area and we just have to keep reminding people that hey, if you like to eat, you need your farms. And if you You know, I think the challenges that we see across the country right now with severe weather, especially in the Southwest, where so much of our vegetables for the United States come from, you know, that Southern California and Arizona region, New Mexico. Um, Who knows how impactful that drought conditions are going to be on getting food here in New England. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been telling people for a few years that it's very uncertain. We can't keep relying on California crops that... Um, you might want to teach yourself to like butternut squash again because we can grow that. Yeah. Um, and it just it kind of started as a funny conversation that with a friend about, hey, you know, you're eating avocados every day. You know, how about some butternut squash that we actually grow around here and doesn't yeah. have to travel? And we laughed it off. And now I see the droughts and stuff ha- happening so severely in the southwest. And COVID made a lot of things unavailable due to the transportation crises and the ongoing labor shortages for people. I... I myself began to like butternut squash. So
0: it's actually pretty good. You can actually use butternut squash in a lot of things. A little bit of brown
1: sugar and you yeah, never know. Absolutely. But yeah, you know, absolutely. that's the beauty of dairy is, is dairy continues to be so local. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started raising our own beef, there was, uh, there's nothing like, especially this time of year, you get uh, your own beef burger, cabbage cheese on top of it, you know, cause that's our co-op. And then some roasted vegetables that we, you know, if I pick them that same night, I don't even wash the dirt off. Just put them on the grill.
0: <laughs> yeah. You make me hungry for lunch. <laughs> I know, right? So you very well might be, you know, you and your siblings very well might be the next owners of this farm. You know, um, you never know. I mean, who knows what the what the future holds. But, you know, thinking about that, I, I'm just, you know, sort of like uh, looking at the crystal ball here. What do you think the future of the farm actually looks like? I mean, is dairy part of the future of this farm?
1: Do you have a crystal ball in that backpack of yours? You know what? Let me see if I do. for one. <laughs> um... Gosh, it's, you know, so when we started last year, 2020, we had all these ideas laid out, you know, you you get a snow day in January and you just, your mind doesn't stop. You you fill the paper with what we're going to focus on this year and how we're going to go after it. Then in March, um, the day that former President Trump announced the national emergency for COVID, um, We came, we were actually out on a catering job because we also cater. We were out on a catering job when the president made the announcement then and came back to a store that it looked like a riot scene. Everybody was, you know, they had their kids, they were filling baskets. Like, we don't get traffic like that in March. And it was a direct result of our governor declaring state of emergency and the president declaring a national emergency for COVID. And your world got flipped upside down we adapted. We have changed because of it. We have had some really positive changes because of it. Um, And I don't think that we were, we weren't anticipating those changes. We weren't anticipating, we wanted to make some of those changes. We didn't anticipate being able to make those changes because Mm -hmm. of COVID. And that's been a really good thing for our business. We realized um, through COVID that we needed to focus on farming. We needed to focus on, our production we were kind of straying from that a little bit through our catering and some off-farm events and things like that we said wait a minute let's just get back to our roots here let's and i think when we look around at a lot of farms in massachusetts and our region too they've had to diversify we've done the same thing we've diversified and the future of whittier farms is in our roots we are going to we have always said We're here to keep agriculture alive and well. And that's exactly what the future of this farm is going to be, is we are going to, I guess, come hell or high water, you know, make sure that we're focused on farming. Uh, I'm so thrilled with some of the improvements we have made in our vegetable garden this year. And, you know, Mother Nature hasn't been so kind to us on the haying end um, and the, the crop production for our cows, but I think we before the weather turned we were headed to a great point in that that we're just constantly looking for be a little bit more efficient how can we work smarter not harder and i, I think that's the future of whittier farms it's just little improvements to keep getting better we want to just be better
0: and you have an upcoming sixth generation you know hopefully on the farm so
1: yeah so it's been um my my little nephew who's almost two has been so insightful like i said in the vegetable garden to see that curiosity um, and a reminder as to why we do it. Again, you know, we, we talked about the Field Play 60 program and, and working with and talking to those kids in the schools, you know, that's a lot of them, they, they, especially the inner city schools, they don't have a chance to see our farm. My nephew and, and our child in the future um, will have an opportunity to, to see that. And mm-hmm. I took my nephew in, over the winter for a walk around the, the farm and, um, to see him staring a calf down and the calf staring him down that'll hit you yeah. you know that that right there is what you're working for absolutely and we're you know i haven't quite figured out um at least our corn planting tractor is a closed cab that we can maybe fit a seat in there but yeah after december it'll be interesting to see kind of how this fits but we i mean growing up i think my my parents had my sister and a baby carrier out in the field and she as soon as we were old enough to walk out in the dirt, we could do that, so.
0: um,
1: It's an awesome
0: place to grow up. A farm is a great place to grow up, it really is. It's
1: really exciting to be able to, you know, bring a child to this, that we look forward to it.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Well, Sam, thanks, I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And it was a pleasure to meet and talk to Sam Sabner, again, of Whittier Farms, and you can read more about Sam and her family's farm on the American Agriculturist website at www.americanagriculturist.com. A link to the story is on the episode page. I'm Chris Torres. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and I'll see you next time.